This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 167. Veterinary friends, it's Dr. Julie Capel, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Cindy Barnes, and she is a practicing emergency veterinarian, and she is also the founder of Shepherd Veterinary Software, and she has a very interesting journey, and um, so we're going to learn about her together and hopefully get some insight about her life as a veterinarian and she can help us um, get some better uh, tools to manage our teams and our practices. And she's been through a lot. So I'm really excited to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Cindy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Nice to have you. So can you start with kind of your story? Like where did it all start as a veterinarian? How did you get into this profession? And tell me about all that. Well, um, I mean, probably similar to most people, just started um, as a vet assistant, kennel attendant, cleaning kennels. Um, I, I, a little bit non-traditional. I mean, I was um, already a mom of five kids and um, was looking for a little bit of extra income for myself. So I went to what was... Um, I don't know, natural or um, comfortable for me was working with animals. You know, I I grew up riding horses and we always had a lot of animals in my house growing up, dogs and cats and horses and you name it. So I gravitated towards veterinary medicine. And so I I got a job just one day a week cleaning kennels. And then that kind of became two and three and four days a week. And then progressed into um, doing more technician type duties. Um, then I ended up going to vet tech school and becoming a um, credentialed veterinary technician. And, and then, um, yeah, from there, I just decided that, you know, if I'm going to be a technician and I was volunteering my time with rural area veterinary services and going to, um, reservations and doing a lot of, um, work with veterinary students, teaching them anesthesia and surgical um, skills as a technician. And I just thought, you know, maybe I should consider becoming a veterinarian as well. So kind of looked into what that journey looked like. It was a, it was a bit daunting. Yeah. Um, if you had that, five children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's pretty non-traditional way to do it. Definitely non-traditional. Um, and you know, at that point it had been many years since I had been a vet tech or gone to vet tech school and, and a lot of the classes, you know, didn't qualify anymore. So I had to retake a lot of the classes. And so it's, you know, it was a, it was a big task. And, and I took one class to just to see if, if I was even, you know, up for the the project and so I took like one biology class I want to say and I think I got a B in the class and I was like well I guess if I could if I could pass this class maybe I could do this and 
So I went full full bore ahead and I thought, well, I'm I'm just going to get through school as quickly as possible because I'm older and I can't just, you know, dink around. I need to get through it as quickly as do. possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I I planned out every single class as, as meticulously as I could and took like the minimum I needed to get through in community college to get into the university and I knew exactly which, you know, courses I needed to take. And, and so, and I took like 21 units a semester. Like I didn't mess around. Yeah. And had five kids at home. And I worked as a vet tech at an emergency and critical care (laughs) facility at night. (laughs) So you were kind of crazy, right? (laughs) I I still am. I just, How old were your kids when you were going through vet school or college or when you started college, I guess? So my youngest was three. Um, Yeah, I waited for him to be old enough so I could put him in the preschool at the community Mm -hmm. college. So I'd drop him off, you know, and then I'd go to class. Nice. And I took all my classes while he was in preschool and then I'd pick him up and then, you know, run around and get the rest of my kids, um, you know, and do the mom thing in the afternoon and the evenings. And then the kids would go to bed and, and I'd study, you know, like from 10 PM to 2 AM was kind of my study time or, or it would be my, or I'd work, um, you know, I usually did grave, not graves. I would do like, um, swing shifts. So, you know, I'd, I'd only work like maybe three days a week as a technician doing swing shifts. And then the rest of the time I'd be, you know, mom or working or uh, studying. <laughs> so it was, it was insane, but I got through it and <laughs> yeah, it sounds very insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I got, got through community college, got into university and, and then, um, you know, and I got through all of those, I didn't graduate community college before I got into the university and I didn't graduate the university before I got into vet school. And, you know, that's something that most people are like, how did that's not possible? And I'm like, well, yeah, it is actually, you don't actually need to have degrees to get from one to the other, to the other. You just need to have the prerequisites to transfer. So I got into Colorado state university as a out of state student, which is a, tough, you know, position to get into because there's so many people applying for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, out-of-state, non-traditional student, but I, you know, I had very, very high GPA and, and good scores and that helped, um, you know, get me into that position. So I I graduated in 2012, like not that long ago, 10 okay. years ago. So you're fairly new to the profession. I'm new t- as a veterinarian. Yeah, right. I've been yeah, in the you were tech for a long since, time since the '90s. Yeah, yeah, and a kennel kid and all that. Yeah, I call all them kennel the- kids. They're now they're animal assistants, but they were always kennel kids to me. <laughs> I always say, you know, when I was a kid, or I grew up when I grew up, or I grew up in the industry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So was the drive just the animals because you, you were an animal lover and you loved horses or did you enjoy the science of it or what was the draw, do you think, to vet med? Well, it was something that I was definitely passionate about for sure, um, but it was, but it was uh, a strategic decision to, to build a career um, that 
you know, it, it was a financial decision for sure. I mean, um, you know, my husband is a car salesman and he's commission only and we had five kids and, you know, it wasn't like he could do something different since he was the primary breadwinner. Um, and, you know, pretty much our financial situation was not going to change unless I changed it. And um, I needed to pick something that I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, you know, I chose veterinary medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely a financial decision. And then most people would be like, so you chose to go into that much debt. Uh, and that was a financial decision. And, and I say, absolutely. It was the best decision of my life. Yeah. I think sometimes I, when I talk to younger veterinarians, I hate to sound like an old fogey, but um, I think sometimes they worry so much about that debt and they don't see yeah. the other side of it. It's like, it takes, it takes money to make money sometimes. And it's 100%. really difficult um, to not do that. You know what I mean? Especially in today's um, environment where veterinarians are just uh, so valuable and, you know, the opportunity to make a really good income um, is out there. Yes. It, you know, that just is, it's a, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. Take on that debt. you love it. Like you have to, you have to love it in a way, but, um, but I, I really think that discouraging yourself from going into this profession because of the money problem, I think is, is the wrong thought because if you love it enough and, um, and with the opportunities that we have now, I think you can, you can make the money that you want to make. Well, and I've just come to absolutely love my career. I mean, I just, I'm just in a position where I just love my career. I mean, I just got back from four overnight shifts in ER and and I, I always end my four overnight shifts. I do four overnights every other week in California. I live in um, just outside of Seattle, but I do my work in California. <clears throat> and I just love it. I absolutely love it. I love taking care of the animals. I love the tough medicine cases, you know, that I get to work really hard on. And, and I get to see these animals turn around and go home healthy and and, you know, the surgical cases that I get to cut and, you know, see them go home healthy and, and the clients are really thrilled and, you know, and even the cases that I can't fix, but, you know, we come to a resolution and, you know, we allow that animal to stop suffering. And, um, I just absolutely love what I do. And, um, I really encourage people to just continue pushing on in this, this industry and, uh, find their joy. Because yeah. it's it's a phenomenal profession. Yeah, it's a choice too to to find the the path in veterinary medicine that you love. So did yeah. you go right into ER out of school? Or what did you do right after you graduated? You said you graduated <laughs> in 2012. And then did no. you go right? No, you know, I'm like so many other veterinarians, you know, that aren't entirely sure what they're gonna do right out of vet school. I thought I knew what I was going to do. I mean, I was pretty dead set. I knew what I was going to do out of vet school. I spent the last uh, two years of my training in vet school focusing on uh, bovine embryo transfer. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 
I did all my externships um, on bovine embryo transfer. I, you know, spent time on cattle ranches. I spent a lot of time with um, a theriogenologist that that's all he did was um, ET. And, you know, that was my focus. I was going to build an embryo transfer practice. Um, mm. So I moved to Montana. Um, I had family there and, and we spent as a family, we spent many summers in Montana and that's where we thought we wanted to be. Yeah. And, um, so I, I moved to Montana and I took out a business loan on top of my student loans. Talk <laughs> about not worrying about the debt. Um, and I built a large animal practice, um, you know, and it, it couldn't be embryo transfer exclusive because there wasn't enough work. So, you know, I did large animal ambulatory 24 seven, which was rough. Yeah. I was the only doctor so. and I didn't have a technician and you know, you're on 24 seven, but it, it was very successful, um, right out of the gate. Um, albeit very busy. Um, and I was the only, only one working. Um, so that's what I did right out of vet school is large animal ambulatory work. You started your own place. So you were the owner. Yeah. So what was mm-hmm. that experience like? being the owner of a practice. Let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I, I was a, you know, my, an owner of my practice for years. So yeah, different. I, I think that um, there's a lot that I didn't know and that, you know, I made a lot of mistakes um, buying inventory. I thought I needed to buy everything under the sun. The, the last thing I wanted to do was to be caught without the equipment or the medication that I needed. So, and you know, the, the pharmaceutical and distribution reps were not um, friendly in helping me decide what I needed. You know, they 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 just want to make some money, right? (laughs) Oh, they just put me right into the hole. No problem. So I would say anyone starting their own practice, find a mentor that's really going to help you determine what the bare minimum is that you need. Um, Cause I I definitely went into a lot of debt um, in drugs and you know, vaccines and you, you name it. Um, I was able to recoup a lot of that, um, at some point by selling, um, a lot of those things when I ended up going into small animal emergency later on. But, um, so yeah, I made a lot of mistakes and, you know, trying to do it alone and not having even an assistant that was hard. And, um, but, you know, I think, it's absolutely doable. It's a little hard on the marriage um, when you're, and you know, you're still parenting your kids and you're, you're on call 24 seven. So you really don't feel like you can ever sleep. You know, your phone's always on. So it's stressful. It's stressful. Um, Probably I'm, I'm uber independent and I needed to learn how to probably reach out for help and ask for more mentorship. Um, I think I would encourage new grads to, to really find someone that has been there, done that and, and ask for help Yeah, in learning what the best way uh, to do it on your own and, you know, ask for help. Yeah. Is that your most uh, important piece of advice from that time in your life of being a hospital owner as, is, is being too independent and too 
I, I Early always on. That a lot of us are kind of control freaks, you know, um, us veterinarians. And so I think sometimes that is a mistake that we make is thinking that we have to know it all and do it all and not ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely felt like, you know, there was a lot of discouragement to start your own practice right out of vet school. You oh, you can't do that. You don't know what right. you're doing. And, and so I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't feel like I had the support um, around me. Um, but I think that that is changing a lot. There's a lot of support out in, in um, our industry today compared to 10 years ago. So, you know, had, had I started a practice today compared to 10 years ago, I think there would be tons of mentorship available for me. Right. <clears throat> and I would have felt much more comfortable asking for help and, and finding it. But back then it was more like, you know, going uphill with a chain attached to my ankle and going, you can't tell me no. Yeah. And I'm going to do this. Kids. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I, I, I got through vet school with all of that attached and now I'm going to go run a successful practice and it was a successful practice. Um, but the, the problem was, is that, you know, my husband didn't want to live in Montana at some point, you know, he was like, I don't think this is where I want to spend the rest of my life. I don't like this weather. I don't like it being dark and dismal all the time. And, you know, can, can we rethink this? And so that's kind of what ended up ultimately leading us, you know, to Arizona, which is where we, we ended up uh, buying an emergency, small animal emergency practice. <laughs> so you sold, you sold the large animal practice in Montana, moved to Arizona and then went into emergency just like that. Like, how did you decide that emergency is where you wanted to go? It, it, it wasn't just like that. It was, um, no, it was kind of, and I didn't sell the large animal practice. I kind of, it was, it was a, this weird transition. Um, the, the local large animal practice in town had called me at the same time and basically was like, Hey, you know, you're obviously taking a lot of our business, you know, do you want to join resources? Oh, interesting. Um, he kind of, you know, wanted me to come and, and join his team, um, and kind of buy out my business. And it was at the same time that my husband wanted to get out of Dodge. So I basically just said, you're, you're, you're in luck. I'm leaving. So, yeah. so they kind of, you know, sometimes you it. have to make, you have to make tough choices in life. And that was a tough choice for me, but I, I made the decision to to, you know, choose my marriage over my business. And so we left and, um, we floundered around for a while. And I, you know, I took a job as a, um, an industry vet for a pharmaceutical type company, um, that produced, um, polyclonal and monoclonal antibodies on a big ranch in California. Um, but you know, that was unbelievable. I, I was the only vet on like this 15,000 acre ranch and, you know, I had 15,000 sheep and 3,000 New Zealand white rabbits and like, <laughs> I don't know, 20,000 mice. Oh my gosh. Talk they, about, they had, talk about stress. That, that sounds awful to me. I would be so it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And the USDA hated them and, you know, eventually USDA shut them down. And I didn't know any of this going into it. So I was working six days a week, you know, 14 hour shifts. It was, 
it was insane. Um, so then after that, I kind of ended up doing a bunch of relief work and just kind of navigated back to ER because that's where I knew I was most comfortable in ER. And I was like, I'm just going to go back to my roots, you know? And so I started doing a lot of relief ER and we ended up moving to Arizona because that's where my husband's family was from. And I ended up doing um, relief ER um, at a practice that, you know, the owner was like, Hey, would you be interested in buying it? And I was like, well, hell yeah. (laughs) Sign me up. And yeah. So that's how I ended up buying that ER. That's really cool. So what year was that? I bought that in 2015. Now, are you still there or is that because you said you're still doing ER? Is it at that practice? No, gosh, you know, I mean, I, you know, my life is just like this. Yeah. It sounds like you you change directions really easily. I need to take a lesson from you. Sometimes I'm like stuck in my ways. So I like that you can pivot and just go in another direction. So I was, so I bought the ER. It was a nights and weekends practice. Um, you know, and that was going to be my legacy, right? You know, that's, I was happy doing that. Um, I turned it into a 24 seven practice within three months, hired four vets, hired a huge team. Um, things were going well. Um, and it was a very successful practice. I was really happy with it. And, um, but the, the software issue was, was a problem for me. Mm. Um, and I had switched up the software a couple times, trying to find something that would work. Software was our biggest um, roadblock in the flow of the practice. It was costing us thousands, hundreds of thousands, actually. We, we audited our, our records and our books often. And we realized we were literally missing $300,000 a year in missed charges because uh, it, was, it was a very profitable practice. We, we, yeah. know, we were making millions a year and yeah. <clears throat> 10% of it was being missed mm-hmm. um, in just nursing fees and injection fees and, you know, human nature is to miss those little things. Sure. And even though it's supposed that, to be charged for. The, yeah. That's one of the hardest things that a practice has to deal with is those missed charges. So, you know, I tried to put checks and balances in place, but those checks and balances ended up costing me in overtime because, you know, the staff were like, can't let Dr. Barnes down, you know, gotta, gotta do these checks and balances. So they would stay late trying to make sure those charges were all in. Well, okay. I'm, you know, I'm stepping over twenties to pick up ones like, or, you know, six, six and one and half dozen another. So it just was like, okay, there, isn't there a software program out there that automatically captures charges? And there really wasn't anything out there that did the way my brain thought it should be done thought it should be done yeah. and there were so many duplicate and triplicate steps to every software program so that's when my crazy brain thought well okay so if no one's going to create a software program to do what it needs to be done i guess that's going to be me too <laughs> and you knew nothing about computers or programming or any of that so no. that's where the shepherd software thing came in yes yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that, that journey. Cause that's a really yeah. interesting zigzag, you know, that's kind of like I'm, I'm in veterinary medicine. Now I'm a techie. Well, I knew nothing. And, you know, 
it's a good thing because had I known what I was getting into, I would have never gotten into it. You know, I, yeah. I honestly, because I thought to myself, you know, I've got a couple, I've got a hundred thousand extra cash. I'll, I'll put that into building a software program. Um, and you know, maybe it'll work for my hospital. Maybe I can build it and it can work for other hospitals. I don't know. So I, I went about trying to find a company to build it for me, found a company. They're like, sure. Okay. hundred thousand. Yeah. We'll, we'll build a program for you. So, <laughs> um, where that's going. Yeah. 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 So they built what's called in, in the software development world, um, a minimum viable product. It's an mm-hmm. MVP. Okay. And um, that's exactly what it was, an MVP, a minimum viable product. Um, so, but that MVP probably cost me about 250000 So I'm thinking, okay. And that's not the end, that's not the end step. Oh God, no. The baby step, right? <laughs> no, no. So I'm like, okay, so I'm writing checks and writing checks, but you know, the practice is profitable. So it's, it's funding all of this. You can do it, right? Yeah. And, and in the meantime, I sucked my, one of my sons into this and, you know, made him my co-founder in this project. And he's got a, he's finishing up design school in California. So He's got, he's a graphic designer and he's the one designing what it looks like. And, you know, he's kind of the go between, like, I'm, I'm telling him I, I needed to do this. I wanted to, you know, function like this. And, and he tell, you know, he figures out what it should look like and then tells the developers and then they make it happen. So he's kind of what we call the project manager or project owner. And which is great, you know, that we can work on this project together. And, um, so, you know, several months go by, I end up putting the, pro- the, the MVP in my own practice. Um, I pull my own software or I pull the old software out. I, I put the MVP shepherd into my practice and I'm like, okay, guys, you need to use this software and you need to tell me, you know, where I need to fix it because I want to build an intuitive software that anyone can use without any training. I I can't stand the fact that I had to spend myself $10,000 to have someone come into my practice and train me on how to use this software. And I still don't know how to use it. Right. Yeah. And it's still not intuitive. That is insanity. And that's what every legacy software out there today is like. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. And even the cloud-based practice management softwares out there today are still charging you an ungodly amount of money to train you on how to use their software. It's like, right. Are you kidding me? This is 2022. Build a software program that is intuitive that someone plugs into their program, turns it on and goes, Oh, okay. Click here. Click here. Oh, that makes sense. Click here. Oh, okay. And they can learn right? it on their own. That is what intuitive software should be like. Mm-hmm. So we, we built intuitive software because we've got a, you know, my son who is a millennial, you know, designing it going, okay, this makes sense. We've got, you know, young hip developers, you know, developing it. And we've got my hospital team telling us exactly where the pitfalls are, what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, and, and kind of, you know, we're building it from the inside of a practice out. And so that's kind of how Shepard evolved. Um, and you know, eventually I'm like several hundred thousand dollars into this 
program. And, you know, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't know what to do at this point. I'm either going to have to pull the plug or I'm going to have to like come up with a lot of money to keep funding this project, you know, because it's nowhere near done. You know, I, I'm, I'm building a, a product that is going to go up against all these other legacy programs that have been out for 20, 30 years that have 800 features. Right. You know, and so I made the tough decision. And, and the interesting thing is I realized in the startup world is you, you, you either have a, an idea and you go out and you get, you get um, investor dollars in the beginning with an idea. Or you go out and you get investor dollars once you've built the product and you now you're just going to grow. But you can't get investor dollars if you if you're halfway there and you need more money to complete to the develop product. it. Yeah, that's a no no in the startup yeah. world, and that's something you didn't know going in. Oh no, I've, I've learned so much, which is valuable, right? That's life, right? <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I. I, the only money I had was my practice. So I had to sell my practice. In order to develop the software. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. And so that's what I did. I, um, I sold my practice. I stayed on for about a year as the medical director. So I kind of had my feet in, in, um, both arenas, which was hard. Um, but you know, I've, juggled many things Done in my harder. life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually I went full, full speed, you know, into, into software development and building a software company. And, and uh, yeah. So a lot of the team that was with me at the ER still works for the software company. Oh, okay. So you took some of those people with you. Well, not on purpose. Um, the, the, the company that bought my ER didn't manage it well. And, uh, eventually it closed. Oh, that's disappointing. It's really very disappointing. Um, but you know, what ended up happening was, um, a good chunk of the team went just outside the non-compete and opened another ER. (laughs) Ah, okay. And then, so they've got a thriving... Yeah, they've got a thriving ER in that yeah. community, which is good because it's the only ER within two hours of, you know, Phoenix. Right. So it's a needed resource in that community. Um, but the rest of the team came over to Shepherd. So, you know, the people that we have working for Shepherd have been with the software since the day one. Yeah. So when Shepherd first was developed and it turned into a company... How long ago was that? Was it recent? So we started, I, the, the concept of Shepherd was like late 2016 um, okay. was re- when we started, you know, when I went to that initial development company and um, said, Hey, I want to build software. You know, can I do this? And yeah. had I known, like I said, <laughs> oh, it, it you know, it takes millions and millions of dollars to build software. Are you sure you want to do this? I would have said, what? You would have said, maybe not. <laughs> um, probably I'll let 
someone else do that. Yeah. yeah. But um, I had a hundred thousand. I thought, sure. You thought that was a lot of money. <laughs> I did. I totally did. So, you know, I mean, again, I would not trade it for the world. I just, I, the experiences I've had in my entire life and career are just, I, they're all meant to be. And I love sharing it with everyone. And people come to me all the time with ideas and I can share my experiences and the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and help steer them in the direction they need to go to be successful. And I just, yeah. I'm just thankful that I've, I've been through what I've been through and I've been successful despite it all. Right. Right. Besides the ups and downs, right. You've still come out on top. Yeah. I'm pretty tenacious. I don't take yeah. no for an answer. Yeah. It sounds like you are. So, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that mindset. Cause you know, on my podcast, we talk a lot about um, you know, how to control your mind so you can do better and feel better and be successful and, you know, get over that imposter syndrome and all that. Tell me about the way you're wired and how you were able to do all these things and just feel okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of it is again, nature, maybe, I don't know. I think it's the way you're built, but I also think a lot of it has to do with, um, a decision, you know, it's a decision to, to wake up every day and say, today's a new day, new opportunity. And, you know, and even it doesn't even have to be a new day. It's a, it's a new minute, new hour, new case, new opportunity to make a difference in this pet's life. You know, that case may not have gone the way you wanted it to go, but you've got a new case right in front of you and you've got a new opportunity to make a difference in that pet's life. Yeah. And so you just, you have to make a conscious decision to just keep moving forward because every minute, every hour, every day is a new opportunity to do something better, new, different, learn, assess. And move forward because the only thing you can control is right in front of you. What is in front of you right now? You cannot control what happened five minutes ago or what's going to happen, you know, five minutes ahead of you can only control what's, what's in front of you at that moment. And, um, you know, and, and I just, again, I, I don't really take no for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's, and a, I, that's a really good point to, to try to stay focused on what you're doing rather than what you've done or what you're going to do, because that's where all the anxiety and the worry comes in. If you're in the moment and you're present and you're focused, you're not going to have time to stress or worry. Yeah. If I had thought about, gosh, I've got eight years ahead of me before I even uh, become a veterinarian. And that's like a monumental task with five kids and a husband and all that debt I'm going to incur. And oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You would have never done it. Never. No, never. You know, and you know, how am I going to get into vet school? Uh, You know, no one gets into vet school. It's too hard to get into vet school. And I'm an out-of-state student, you know, and I had all these kids. My choices were pretty slim. Um, I I had to be, you know, I couldn't just apply to every school. Like I had to pick areas where number one, I wanted to raise my kids. Number two, where my husband can get a job, um, you know, and continue to support us. 
And so, you know, I was very strategic about what schools I chose and to apply to. And, and so, you know, I just, you know, you had to, you had to know that this is where you're going to go and this is where you were going to get in. And, and, but I was also very, very strategic and I didn't just willy nilly it. Like I knew exactly what the statistics were and I knew what scores I had to get. And, you know, I knew what grades I had to get and, but I just always focused on what was right in front of me, like Mm -hmm. what class, what homework assignment, what test, you know, I didn't look. What kid, (laughs) right. It just fell down and scraped his knee. And now I got to focus on that. Then I can go back to the studying. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's excellent advice, you know, because that's something that's so difficult to do, you know, even, even getting myself to focus on what's right in front of me is often difficult, you know? So that's If you can see what was literally right in front of me behind my computer, it's like a stack of mail that's this high. (laughs) That you could be stressing about, right? It is, it contains so much mail that I haven't gone through. Like all of my stuff is automated, like all my bills and everything. So I don't really think about bills. Right. Um, I'm sure a lot of it is stuff I can throw away, but it's probably tax return stuff and I need to go through and (laughs) yeah, I have to go through and do all my tax stuff and get it off to my CPA. And then my, I'm a little bit of an enabler with my kids. So my two adult kids are like, did you get all my tax stuff off to my, the CPA yet? Um, So that's a typical mom too. You're still involved with your kids and still trying to help them get going and yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it is. So I'm like, that's right in front of me as we speak. So, but I'm I'm blocking that out. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's another good point, right? Is you can't you can't always get it all done, and I think that's what we we tend to forget. You know, like some of my records didn't get written up from yesterday, and they'll still be there tomorrow when I go back to work, and and that's okay. You know, there's they're right there. All the notes are written down. All I got to do is plug them into the computer or whatever. And just realizing that that's okay and and not beating yourself up over that. Records are, um, those are one of the things that I, that's one of the things that were forefront in writing, you know, in creating Shepherd. Yeah. I, yeah. you Tell know, me about that. Well, you know, in, in ER, you don't have that luxury because you have to get the records you have to, to the get them hard. written up right away. Yep. Yeah, you don't have that luxury. So, and then, you know, <laughs> hearing from veterinarians that are in my social media circle and on all these Facebook groups that I'm in, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm three months behind or I'm six months behind. And some people are like a year behind. I'm like, oh my God. You can never catch oh my up. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know oh how God. that happens. I can't even remember an hour later, you know. So, I know. If it didn't happen five minutes ago, I've forgotten, right? So that's, you know, I, I made Shepard so that you can get those records done in five minutes. You know, you have five minutes after an appointment or during the appointment to get that record done. It's all templated. You just have to remember things that are, you know, abnormal, plug that in. Everything else is just, it's just a very quick and easy nice. medical record to complete. And, you know, the charges are automatically captured for you. So all you have to do is, you know, administer the things that you did, you know, your vaccines, it goes right into the medical record, captures who did it, when they did it, 
um, as a time and date stamped and it goes right on the invoice. So you don't have to remember to add it to the invoice. It's just automatically added. Yeah. Along with your discharge instructions, um, you know, are all attached to your, whatever you're administering. So if you're doing surgery or vaccines or suture removal or whatever, all of that is put on your discharge instructions automatically. So you don't even have to worry about discharge instructions. So that's, you know. Well, and if I remember correctly, when I was at the VMX, I did go through um, Shepherd software with someone. Um, I just happened to wander by and they sucked me into their booth, you know, how that goes. Yeah. And uh, so I I looked at it and it looked very, um, for lack of a better word, pretty. Mm-hmm. It looked very simple and very clean. kind of clear and clean. There wasn't a lot of um there wasn't Tabs a lot of colors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just thought it looked very clean. And so um I did go through the demonstration and I thought it was a really um interesting uh way of doing it, even though I probably don't know it all, but it, it did look very clean. It looked very um polished and simple and so, you know. yeah, simple, but powerful. I mean, we've got, yeah. you know, everything you need, whiteboard, inventory, automated reminders, texting. So you it's know, designed you name it. for, for ER practices and general practices. Equine, ER, okay. GP, nice. everything. Yeah. yeah. Any, nice. any type of practice can use it hundred yeah. percent. So how do you feel about that? Like, that sounds like a really proud thing. That you that you started this whole, you know, this whole um, thing, even though it was am, hard. <laughs> it was very hard. I am very proud of it. Um, you know, we're still in the growing phases. I think you know, once we get to the point where we have a significant market share, I will feel even better. Um, but you know, what I'm really most proud about is the practices that started with us as beta practices are all still with us. So when I reached out to, you know, a handful of practices and said, I'm looking for beta practices um, to test it and tell us where we need to fix this, that, or the other, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you are going to pay us, but I, but it's going to be a minimal fee and you, you're going to have that fee for life. And, and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And those practices are still with us. Nice. Um, we, we have very, very, very little what we call churn in the software industry. So very, very few people leave us. Um, you know, everyone has people that come and go, but our churn rate is just so very, very minimal. And, and people are very happy with our service. Um, not, not just the software, but our incredible, um, team that I've put together. And that's, that's what I'm most proud about because in the ER, um, we had an amazing customer care team. We had a, an amazing um, technician team. Um, and team culture is really, really important to me. I mean, yeah, it's just, let's talk about that. Do you have time to keep going? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah. Let's, yeah. let's talk about that because I... I have always been really into that. Like I love leadership. I've always been really jazzed up about leading a team and running a team. And so let's talk something about that. Like what, what was that like? And what are, what kind of things do you think are important to that? Well, I mean, 
The most important thing when it comes to um, high quality medicine is when a client um, trusts you. I mean, that's that's when you're going to get buy-in from the client, you know, and you're going to and you're going to be able to to provide you know, all the diagnostics and the treatment plan that, that is best for that patient. So you have to get buy-in from the client and the client's not going to buy in unless they trust you. Right. So that's gotta, that's gotta be a team effort. They can't just trust me as the veterinarian. They have to trust the person that they talk to when they first call into the practice, they have to trust the technical team, you know, that they interact with um, and they have to trust the doctor. And so for everyone to be on the same page, you know, they have to, the team has to buy into that um, practice culture and um, it, it has to be voluntary. So they have to really believe in what they're doing and they have to believe why they're there. And, um, and really my motto um, for the emergency practice and, and it carried on because it's just who I am into the into the software company is, you know, you are the, you're here because you are the best of the best. I only hire the best. You're the cream of the crop. And, um, every, everyone knew what everyone got paid because everyone got paid the same. You're not here unless you are the best. Number one, and everyone got paid the same because I handpicked you and, you know, um, I invested in them. I made sure that, you know, their needs were cared for. Um, you needed time off, you got time off. Family came first. They knew that. Um, if we were super busy, I fed them. You know, I made sure that there were always food and snacks and drinks and things they needed to take care of themselves were always available at the practice. And same for clients, you know, food, direct, food snacks, drinks were always available for the clients. Um, the team knew that they had the power to defend themselves and to ask a client to leave. If that client was getting, um, that client was getting aggressive or obnoxious, um, you know, they had the power to make the right call, whatever that call was. And I would back them up no matter what. I always had my team. So back. you empowered them. Hundred percent to make decisions and and it like you no know. never happened never happened they always went above and beyond to make that client happy and if they needed to discount something or you know give something away or whatever make exceptions you know they had the power to do that as well mm-hmm. and we always talked as a team about you know what that um what those circumstances were that warranted it. And so again, those circumstances and, and situations were very, very rare because the team worked really hard to work through those situations. They never hardly ever gave things away, hardly ever gave discounts because they believed in what they were saying and they believed right. in, in, um, Their work. you know, their work exactly so but they if that situation came to that point they knew that they they could do that and and I would back them up 100% so i think what's most important is 
having your teams back um, and trusting your team and having those um, open and honest conversations is, is number one. Um, you know, I always sent my team to continuing education conferences, full ride, I paid for their travel. I paid for their food. I paid their, their, um, you know, of course all the CE and then I paid their, um, their salaries when they were there. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even the non-credentialed technicians, um, in the support staff that were doing technical type work so that they felt like they were part of the team, they felt empowered. And they, you know, when you get in that environment and you are around all of these other, um, veterinary professionals, you know, you just come away from environments like that feeling empowered again and, and excited about your energized. Yeah, exactly. So invest in your team, invest in your team. And the same thing, you know, when they came over to the software company, I'm like, listen, you know, we're here to, to provide our customers, our clients with um, the most superior customer service that they've ever had in any, you know, um, business experience that they, you know, that they interact with and they know that, um, and, and that's the kind of customer service that they provide. I mean, they go above and beyond for our team. I mean, for our, um, clients and, and that's probably the number one compliment we get from our customers is just, you know, the customer care team and their experience with them is uh, second to none. And nice. we're really proud of that. Yeah, you should be proud of that because that's that's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to create a team. It's not easy to keep a team together. It's not easy to foster that trust and, you know, in empowering those people to do their jobs. Yeah. Is something you need to be. Yeah. And you also, I mean, there's the the hard side to that. It's not all, you know, great. The hard side to that is you you really have to have a tough policy that if there is a team member that can't be coached up, you got to let them go quick. Yeah. Doesn't matter how you do. (laughs) Doesn't matter if they are your most credentialed technician or, you know, most skilled technician or whatever, if they are your most toxic employee or, you know, if they're, I've had to let go of doctors, you know, I had a doctor once that brought her own dog into the practice and then proceeded to abuse it. Wow. Yeah. That's not good. (laughs) And I, I had to let her go. Yeah. That, you know, that just can't, you can't have that. Well, modeling. if someone would do that with their own dog, what would they do with the client's dog? Yeah. So, you know, you have to make tough decisions as a leader um, to really um, protect your environment and your culture at all costs, even when the decisions are hard, you know. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people that aren't in the leadership role if they're in that kind of toxic environment? Because I run into that a lot with some of the people that I coach is they're associate veterinarians and the practice leadership is a little wishy-washy. And so they have a hard time being in that environment. Do you think there's a way to influence the environment in a positive way without the leadership being super solid? No. Leave. Yeah. Leave I mean, honestly, if, if more people would just leave, 
and go somewhere else and then go build that culture, you know, go somewhere else because there's, I mean, we're in an environment right now where now we are, you're, yeah. you're so wanted in <laughs> so many different places. I mean, you could literally write your own, you write your own check, yeah. whatever you want, you've got, and you know, you can go into places that are looking for associates and say, okay, this is what I'd like. I want to build a team. I want to build a culture. And, and these are my requirements. And you're going to find a place that's going to be like, whatever you want, this is great. You want to do this? Tell me what you need. Yeah. And that's and what you should be looking you for. You can't, you should be doing that. And if more people start leaving, instead of trying to fix a bad situation, we're going to see the energy shift in this industry. Yeah. Well, I think it already is. I think oh, people I, like you and, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to on the podcast and a lot of the people that I coach, I think that we're, we're changing it. It's like, it's like a big ship to turn. So it it's going to take time, but 100%. I think, I think we're getting there slowly. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I'm seeing it. And I mean, there's just, there's so many um, rippling effects, you know, I, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, these corporate entities, God bless them, you know, that aren't managing their practices well because it's just a big machine um, are having to close their doors yeah. because they can't keep teams um, together. And then they're relying on tons of relief, you know, relief vets to run their practices. And, and then that's not sustainable. Right. So, you know, I mean, eventually you exactly things will right themselves and become level again. And, and I think associates that are in toxic situations, yeah, you got to leave and don't be afraid to leave because the grass is really greener on the other side. (laughs) Yeah. There's plenty of places to find, right? And you're probably going to make more money somewhere else and work less. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything that we didn't talk about that we should have anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to put out there? I no, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. You have a really interesting journey. So how many more times are you going to change careers? Do you think? Well, I, I am currently, I mean, right now, I am advising Shepard, you know, I'm no longer the CEO, I'm advising Shepard and I will continue to advise Shepard forever as long as they have me. So I'm still pretty involved with Shepard um, as much as they need me or want me. Um, but, and I'm doing relief ER work just to kind of stay busy and keep my, you know, toe in the water. Yeah. This, this one practice that I was doing relief work on and off. They got acquired by Blue Pearl. So they they kind of nailed me down. We're like, we need you to be more regular. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I really like the practice. So I, that's why I'm doing work every other week for them. Um, but I, I'm actually starting um, a group of de novo practices. Oh, interesting. So that, if that, takes off the way I expect it to take off. Um, that'll be kind of my, my final hurrah. I mean, I'm 50 and we have our 10th grandbaby due in September. And, you know, the goal is to build, 
you know, however many of these practices, you know, and that'll probably be my, my final. It sounds like a big project too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is going to be a big project and it, there'll be a, a unique twist to these practices. And so stay tuned. Nice. I'll come back on and, and talk about yeah, it once we, yeah, for we sure. launch. I'd love to have you. This has been really fun. Yeah. All right. So tell me before we wrap up, if someone wants to learn more about Shepherd Software or more about you, um, where can they go? Who can they contact? Is there a website or? Sure. So um, Shepherd, they just go to Shepherd, you know, spelled like the dog Shepherd um, dot vet. And then there's a little chat icon in the um, bottom right hand corner. They just click on that and they'll speak to a real human from 7 a.m. Eastern time to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so they can learn about the software. Yep. And yeah. they can get okay. a demo anytime they want in a pre trial account. Awesome. Um, and then they want to speak to me or reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, or Instagram at Cindy Barnes DVM. Those are the two best places to find me. Great. Well, this has been super fun. It's been great to meet you. Great to talk to you again. I talked to you a little bit before this podcast, but I didn't hear the whole story. So it's been really fun to learn about your journey. And I really admire your um, your focus and the way that you can pivot. So that that's interesting. And I'll I'll want to learn more when you get these practices going. I think that'll be fun to hear. Well, about you know, it's all adventure. about defying what, you know, the industry is all about and saying, you know what, we can do better. Yes. So watch me go. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, thanks for having me, Julie. Thank you so I, much. I enjoyed I really the conversation. It. Yeah, it was really fun, Cindy. Thanks for, thanks for being here. I really enjoyed it. All right, everyone have a beautiful week and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye, Cindy. Bye.